Welcome to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here, bringing you the latest in Canadian politics and news from a leftist perspective. And uh, I want to channel a uh, political figure who we're going to be talking about uh, in the show today, the just wonderful Pierre Polyver, who I... I Polyevra. Polyevra. See, I can't even get yeah. his name right. <laughs> I, 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 I'm thinking that... And this is already a hack bit, but I, I do think he is the, the type of politician that we might have seen tweet something like, you know, I'm ready to slap the monetary markets of Canada just like Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. I really think he's one <laughs> of those dudes, you know, he's got that ick about him that we're going to be like hearing a, something He's got like that. that like libertarian, oh, it's like nerd, probably, I don't know if like I'm going to Google Pierre. Polyevra bow tie, you know, <laughs> like look to the 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 bow tie people in the audience. Look, actually, uh, it doesn't look like I, oh. I don't really see him with a bow tie, actually. That's but you know, surprising. he kind of feels like that libertarian. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna wear a bow tie kind of guy. In 2007, you know? he really wanted to tell you why Ron Paul was a genius. Yeah, like it's like, really I bet that you dude. He was, like, I bet you, you know, how, like, you and I are Canadian Bernie bros. He yeah. probably, I wouldn't be surprised if he was, like, a Ron Paul guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, just, just, just the fucking worst. Just the worst. <laughs> and yeah. he very well yeah. could be our next prime minister. So we're going to be getting into that yeah. absolutely later today. Um, the biggest story that we, we got to touch on right away, Christo, is the, the blowback from the NDP and Liberal Accord. Uh, last week, we, we spent the whole episode giving all the ins and outs of exactly what it means, what's expected for the NDP, you know, what do they have to provide to the Liberals. And the big question was, you know, how is this going to sit with both of those constituents? You know, we heard a lot yeah. from our Discord community that was kind of, you know, in the middle with it. And I think there's some really interesting conversations yeah. about that. But just generally, you know, what have we seen in terms of uh, blowback? I know there there have been a bit of polling on this. So what's what's the outcome? Yeah, there were, there were a couple polls. Angus Reid did a poll that was more mixed uh, basically showing Canada divided almost 50-50 on the issue. About 45 support, 43 oppose, 12 are unsure. But looking at the partisan lean, it's very polarized. Uh, minus 88% PPC, minus 83 conservatives, minus 18 bloc, plus 38 green, plus 63 NDP, mm. plus 74 liberal. Abacus did a, a, did a similar poll. And Abacus found that it was more popular. I believe I have the numbers here, um, but they they found that one it was it remained popular uh, among uh, NDPers and liberals, but they they thought it more popular among the public. So, for instance, um, basically uh, they asked Canadians, um, "Do you think it's a good thing, a bad thing?" Uh, unsure or no difference and basically two to one Canadians almost two to one Canadians felt that it was good so mm. this poll was more rosy on it but what both polls show is that liberal supporters seem to be more optimistic about it than NDP supporters and that might indicate that liberals thought they got a good deal mm. maybe they figured you know a lot of these things many of these things are already in our platform 
Um, the NDP got one or two things that were distinctly not in our platform. And so maybe we feel this is a victory. And most NDPers do support it. I don't want to to downplay that, but it could be a mixture of NDPers who are uh, wary of cooperation with the Liberals, not certain the deal will actually get done. But in general, people are pretty optimistic with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that know, same abacus yeah. data, it was interesting to look at just what the impression of the leaders was based on this push. I, I believe looking at it here, there was a bit of a bump for, for JT, his negatives down and his positives up. But from what we're seeing here, just generally, you know, Jagmeet is still seen so positively by NDPers and liberals as a leader as this, uh, you know, accord has gone through. So in terms of like the reflection on leadership, I do think this from what we're seeing here seems to be a positive for Jagmeet. What do you think? Yeah, certainly. And I mean, one thing and I don't know what the change here, but Singh is the only one that's more popular with leaders of other parties. So if Mm. you look at Candace Bergen, I don't believe they have uh, party data, but if you look at Trudeau, Trudeau isn't negative, but he's also negative with every party but his own, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like some parties, not not incredibly negative, but even with the NDP and Greens, he's about twenty points underwater. Yeah. Twenty seven percent of NDPers like Trudeau, forty eight don't like him. Same thing for the Greens, basically. If you look at the NDP, however, Singh is popular with every party. Uh, with three of the five parties, three of the six. Obviously, the PPC and the Bloc and the Conservatives don't like Singh, mm-hmm. but 79% of NDPers are positive, only seven negative, 45% to 21 from the Greens, and 52% of Liberals uh, like Singh, and only 14% don't. Um, the polling, we haven't seen a whole lot of like uh, horse race polling. Yeah. Abacus does show the NDP down, but it's one poll, uh, and I don't think Angus Reid did one. But this does show, and and this could be an argument going forward, that Singh is more popular among liberals than Trudeau is among NDPers. Mm -hmm. And if coming out of this deal, Singh is able to convince liberals that he's a good team player, that could matter in a lot of red-orange writings. And I almost wonder if the argument to keep the liberals to a minority will be even more persuasive to liberal voters because... Even if you go to a liberal and say, look, yeah, a good chunk of what was promised in this accord was actually just in the liberal platform. Uh, And that's one of the reasons we were critical of it, of course, Um, you know, because it didn't go nearly far enough on on many, if not most issues. But the reality is the liberals weren't going to do these things anyway. And I almost wonder if liberals will understand that, that, yeah, even if you can rationalize it and say, okay, this is just trying to achieve the liberal platform. Justin Trudeau could have done that without the accord, right? Mm, Clearly, (laughs) he got something out of this. He got stability in his government, effectively able to have a full term, uh, which, you know, clearly not wanting an election right now. Because let's be real, if Justin Trudeau would have taken most of what's in that accord, if not all of it, and brought up a bill to parliament, the NDP would have voted for it. Mm -hmm. If he would have brought up that exact dental care plan with the exact parameters the NDP would have voted for it. Likely the Greens as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe even the Bloc, I'm not sure. And so you, but it would pass in the House. And then they brought up the Pharmacare plan, it would have passed in the House. You know, like, so the idea that, that, that this is 
um, something that I think could endear Singh to liberals more mm-hmm. is quite interesting. Yeah, um, I can see you that. Know, and, and I almost wonder if uh, in a lot of those close orange-red ridings, and there were more than a few of them, a couple really close ones in Toronto, this could be used as a real campaign strategy to, one, say that, you know, when push comes to shove, what got the liberal platform in part implemented, the good parts of it, wasn't actually a liberal majority. It was a minority where the NDP had significant influence. Mm -hmm. But who knows? I mean, again, historically, it needs to be said, usually the junior partner in these types of arrangements, you know, often loses electorally. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not uh, an expert on that uh, that subfield of political science and history, but like it, uh, maybe it's because they, they don't get all of the credit, but they still get some of the blame. I'm mm. not sure. Nonetheless, uh, Canadians so far seem to like the deal. They yeah. seem to like it, although there remains criticism from the left. One of the biggest venues of criticism I've seen is on climate, because, mm. you know, while you can make criticisms of the dental plan and of the the pharmacare plan, those are still moves in the right direction. A lot of people say the climate plan is 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 was already insufficient from both the NDP and the Liberals, and mm-hmm. this doesn't really make uh, much of a positive difference. Yeah, we we did hear a lot of kudos, and, and one of those voices we already invoked him here, but Bernie Sanders tweeted out last week that I am yes. pleased that the Canadian government, at the urging of Jagmeet Singh and the NDP, is moving towards universal dental care, as you pointed out. Not exactly. Yeah. That's not exactly true. Well, but. I mean, you could be charitable in, to yeah. him and say that it's moving towards is, of course, yeah. vague. Jugmeet might himself say that this is what we could achieve uh, in the here and now. But, you know, a future NDP government will will endeavor to make the plan universal. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the plan as, as offer and as we talked about is not universal. Right. It's yeah. it's a it's a um, it's uh, it's a means step. tested. It's a step. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and, and it will include significant amounts of Canadians, but it's it's not for everybody, right? You know, mm-hmm. that's that's the reality. But no, but yeah, he got a good shout out from none other than Bernie Sanders, which we always love to see. Absolutely, and I, I, yeah. there is one side of this that I do think we didn't cover as much because it was kind of, you know, breaking and it, it was great mm-hmm. to talk more uh, with leftists about this. And there is this unfortunate feeling, I think, among many Canadian leftists that even though, and we went through it in detail, that in practical terms, you know, how much can the fourth place NDP really do? And this deal perhaps does push things in the correct uh, direction, even if it's not filled to the letter, that it will make it life better for Canadians than it wouldn't and that wouldn't have this if this was not happening. But the idea that believing in the NDP and to a further extent, even leftist values is somewhat a matter of principles that not addressing that and 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 kind of um making your principles falter in the for the sake of political gain i think has sit a little unwell with, with a lot of people listening to me right now and a lot yeah. of people we were talking yeah. to and like i i understand it but i i do think that it's something that we should spend a, a little time talking about and honestly yeah. just my my quickest take on that is Absolutely, it's 100% valid, but just the fact that this effort will help Canadians that are in, in many cases, dire straits that wouldn't get the help if this wasn't happening, I do question, you know, is the purity of 
this value that you have worth more than maybe actually helping people? Like, I, I do wonder, like, what your degree of change is there? Because it's it's not a, a straightforward answer. Like, because I, I do think it yeah. is believing in this does require a certain moral clarity that liberalism eats away and destroys. Like, that's why yeah. we believe in these things, because yeah. it, it's better than the politics, whereas now there is some politicking. So what, what's your take on that, Crystal? Yeah, no, I think that's perfectly uh, it's perfectly a, a valid position. And again, this might explain because I'm trying to think like you look at these perceived um, impact of the of the liberal NDP agreement. And again, it's very positive from both liberals and NDPers, but the liberals are more positive on it and and less negative on it. And that could be a perception that they feel that they've won. Whereas on the NDP, I think most NDPers support it. But I would almost wonder which NDPers are most against it. And my mm. instinct would be it would be a mixture of maybe some NDPers that are uh, more NDP conservative switchers mm. that don't like this move. And it might also be NDPers on the left flank of the party who do have reservations or, or, or principled opposition or both to this deal. And, you know, I think it's fair to say, for instance, that this limits the NDP's ability to criticize the government. You mm -hmm. know, there are going to be times now where um, it will be harder for the NDP, not impossible, but harder for them to criticize the federal liberals on any core element of the of their of their their governing strategy, because for one, the NDP has agreed to not oppose any confidence motion. Right. Part mm -hmm, of the deal yeah. is the government has to last until X time. And that means that you can't vote against any confidence motions. Now, there might be times where the NDP could uh, abstain on, from certain votes because abstentions uh, don't count as no votes. Right. You know, the mm -hmm. NDP could abstain uh, in some cases. They, you know, they, they could they know that the liberals are say they're going to propose enha enhanced military spending Um They'll probably the liberals could get the votes they need from the conservatives. I doubt the conservatives would vote against more money for the military. <laughs> yeah. So Singh could basically, um, you know, take a position that abstains from the vote uh, and it'll easily pass with liberal and conservative support, for example. But it will be harder. And I think some people are, are, are right to have concerns that um, this will make it harder for the NDP to criticize the government. Um, it does at least at least on an optics level tie you to some of the 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 the, the policies and and, and 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 ideologies of the Liberal Party. And, you know, maybe the argument could be made that in some of these cases, uh, you know, the programs might be better than the current status quo, but it might also kind of stultify further left movement, mm. right? Like yeah. the means tested dental care might make it harder to actually get to uh universal. Yeah, people will say like, yeah. we already have dental care. We don't need yeah. this anymore. You yeah. know, we don't need the to counterpoint to that. Of course, is that that's what the NDP ran on in the most recent election. So if you oppose that, it's not the coalition deal. The, the, you know, the um, coalition sounded like a CPC <laughs> member here. Yeah. The, the, the supply and confidence deal that's getting it done, that, that that's causing that, you know, that's the reality. I mean, but on the other hand, like, as you know, people will be helped by this. And it's also the the realities of what you could get done. And I mean, right now, the NDP is the fourth place party, but you could almost imagine a scenario where Singh ran a really great campaign in the last election and you flip the liberal and, and NDP seat amounts mm -hmm. and the NDP goes to the liberals for a deal. 
and they have more leverage, but the Liberals still have some leverage. You're going to end up with a deal that is not quite an NDP deal. If yeah. you have a proportional system, you will see new parties and, uh, and, and, and vote patterns change, but it still could be the case that in a proportional system, the Liberal and Conservative parties remain the two biggest parties. You know, they and maybe yeah. pulling in collectively 40 percent, 45 percent of the vote, uh, always the two biggest parties, leaving you in a scenario where a stronger NDP, but still a third place NDP would need to be a junior partner with the liberals and the liberals always, at least hypothetically, having the ability to get conservative support when needed on like core, you know, neoliberal economic policy. So on the one hand, it's I think it's certainly fair to say that the deal limits the ability of the left to critique the current government. I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. Um, but I also don't know, especially in the short to medium term, how this deal makes progress any less likely because I, I you know, I, it wasn't going to happen anyway. Now, the one counter argument is that going into another election, one, the, again, the junior partner historically gets rolled in these sorts of deals, right? Like that's just generally yeah. how it happens. Um, and it could also be the case that, you know, it, Trudeau, especially if Trudeau remains in, in, uh, in leadership, which, which he might, um, but, but in any case, by, by, 2025, the Liberals will have been in power for 10 years, mm -hmm. roughly the same amount of time that Stephen Harper was in power. Actually, I think a tad longer even. Um, and so by that point, people start getting a little sick and tired of governments. Yeah. Right. Like in Canada, we've had some really long governments. You know, we've had like some like 15 year liberal regimes and stuff, either under one or successive prime ministers federally. But in general, it becomes harder and harder to stay in power. And one of the opportunities you would think for the NDP is when a liberal government gets thrown out, that's often an, a, an opportunity for the NDP to take up the banner of the, the, the non-conservative vote. We almost saw Horwath do exactly that. Mm -hmm. Right. It came up short, but, you know, people were sick and tired of the liberals, but they didn't necessarily. A lot of people didn't want to vote for Doug Ford's conservatives and Andrea Horwath, who at the time especially was 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 seen as, you know, likable and all of that, uh, was able to kind of fill that vacuum a little bit. Um, and I wonder if it'll be harder for Singh and the NDP to do that because they're going to be seen as at least for the last few years playing a role in keeping Trudeau in power. Mm. So Singh will be able to critique the government in a campaign and say what we would have done differently. But when he's trying to paint himself as an alternative, it might be difficult and Paul Evra or whoever the conservative leader may be will be able to at least hypothetically say, Singh says he's different from Trudeau, but when push comes to shove, he kept him in power. So if you want to get rid of Trudeau, you need to go to me, right? Like I'm the one that opposed. Yeah, you know, I, I see that. that, that. I wonder though yeah. if, like, maybe if any of these even uh, very modest progressive reforms do happen for Canadians, the flip side of this is that you know Singh can say, "Listen, those things that have made your life better wouldn't have happened." if it wasn't for me doing this deal. So it's like I was able to kind of inject some NDP progressivism into this Trudeau neoliberalism. Maybe that would be, you know, something that could switch the uh, the liberal voters who are seeing the ship sink in the, the next election. Because like you said, oh, yeah. like I do that think it could, could be seen as a positive in ways that it just like it could be seen as a negative, I guess, when yeah. when we're going with our next election. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, uh, 
but I think that's like that's a fair point. Yeah. And like, look, that's the like when you're talking about the positives and negatives of the deal. We've seen some people say the deal is unambiguously negative. We've seen some real cheerleaders for it. But the correct answer is it's 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 a mixture. And I think that, um, you know, you might be of the mind that the mixture is more negative than positive, or vice versa. But I, I but I think that even even supporters of this deal will have to recognize is that it it limits the NDP's ability to criticize a government that beyond the things in this agreement is still going to do some shitty things, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's the reality. Now again, the counter counterpoint to that is, yeah, you could have been vocally critical, but the NDP would have never really had enough votes to take down the Trudeau government. Yeah. Right. If you take and this so, principled stand, you know, yeah. in the house, what does that actually accomplish? The only time the way? NDP could have done that is in in you know in concert with the liberals or with excuse me with the bloc and with the conservatives, all three of those parties simultaneously. And we have to remember that that would likely mean taking down the government on a position from a conservative orientation. Mm-hmm. You would you know like what is the issue? that the NDP bloc and conservatives are all going to agree yeah. on and be pissed enough to take the government down. Was it the convoy? Because frankly, as much as people, we don't even know if that was a confidence motion or not. Like, I actually don't think that was clarified. But like, I know some people on the left didn't like that emergencies motion. The NDP would have gotten bloodbathed mm-hmm. if they would have taken down the government to defend the fucking convoyers. They would never it, win again. 100%. Like, how could they possibly yeah. keep campaigning? On it doesn't. That? Yeah, like, it, it doesn't just... matter. I get it. Principle matters, blah, blah, blah. Look at the voters. Look, anybody who would consider themselves an NDP voter. We're talking about normie NDPers out there, not listeners of this podcast or people <laughs> on like, like, you know, the left, right? Like most, they fucking hated the convoyers. Yeah. Right. Like, but worst case, Jugmeat would have had to abstain from that vote. If it was a confidence mm-hmm. moment, that was the worst he could have done. Uh, and even then he would have still been hammered. The reality is there's almost nothing the NDP is going to be able to do to take this government down unless they unite with the conservatives to do it for a purely right wing image oriented thing. That's that's my view, at least yeah. at this stage. So you might as well get something out of this parliament. And it looks like they have. Right. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Right. That's one thing they'll have to keep an eye on. Uh, but now this maybe gives Singh more credence to vote down the government. I think the NDP has been afraid of looking to take down Trudeau, seeing that as used as a narrative to say that they're hastening the arrival of a conservative government. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, during the pandemic, no one wanted to be seen as taking down the government, uh, you know, and forcing us into a pandemic election. But I wonder now if if Singh can say, look, we made this deal. Trudeau said by 2023, this bill would be passed. It's now, you know, 2023 it wasn't in the budget you know we've been lied to we're we're pulling our support from the agreement mm, i wonder if that'll give him more credence to uh, oppose the the to, to to support the government's downfall by saying look uh you know i'm not just blowing smoke up everyone's behind here i'm not just doing this for naked partisanship i was the one that you know sat down and made a deal with trudeau uh, and he didn't keep up his end of the deal Right. So I do but think, yeah. yeah, I think that's an interesting idea that by, and a lot of people have said this, I think that's even mm-hmm. one of the polling data you have here, uh, that w- will this agreement last until, uh, you know, 2025? I'm looking here, uh, the 30% of those polled said, yeah, it'll last until 2025. 31% are unsure at all. But I, I do think that yeah. is a real interesting position and I do not think that this will just this deal will go off without any sort of like big 
issue being held. I don't think it'll last. That's a long time, 2025, for everything to go exactly as outlined, especially as ambiguous as the language is of this agreement. So I don't, like you said, I don't think that is going to happen. And, I mean, and that how... is the plurality. Yeah. Like in that poll, it said 13 think it's going to end before the end of the year, 19 by the end of 2023, 7 by the end of 2024, 30% 2025, 30 unsure. Um, you know, I, it could also be the case that some of those people at the front end are wishful conservatives <laughs> who really don't want the deal to work. We don't know yet. One thing, though, and this is something that we have to consider, the, the deal, even in the, the Angus Reid poll, where Canadians are sort of evenly-ish divided on it, the bill is extremely popular among NDPers, Liberals, and Greens, mm. right? Even Greens are, and they're not included, but Greens is plus 38, NDP plus 63, Liberal plus 74. It could be the case that out of fear, neither party wants to break the deal mm. because they know that it's the popular, voter yeah. universes of each, of, of each party like the deal. Yeah. So... There's the general electorate incentives, and there's also the party electorate incentives. And this is what we're going to talk about when we talk about some conservative stuff later on. There is often a difference between what the general public wants and what a party uh, party's base wants and what a party's voting universe wants. And so you could say to yourself, purely rationally, a political party is obviously going to select the person that polls well among non-members. But as we've seen, at least in some polls, there's an indication that, say, Jean Charest might be a better candidate than Pierre Polyevre at winning votes in Quebec and Ontario, etc. But there's no indication thus far that anyone is close to Polyevre among the conservative leaderships. He's not, he's not won it yet, of course. He mm -hmm. could still lose, but he's clearly in front despite the fact that he's not clearly in front of Chade when it comes to general non-conservative support. Yeah. So before we transition into that, I think it also needs to be said about the NDP that considering what their platform was, considering what we've heard from leadership, this is not at least the outward-facing party of extreme leftism or something close to socialism like that's just not what the ndp is if we happen to be supporting the ndp but still have beliefs like that it doesn't reflect that we think the party is of that nature like so if your expectation is that all of a sudden the ndp would start really pushing those very needed and essential legislation to to save Canada and, and and to make sure it's more equitable nation that isn't just going to magically happen now that they did this deal like this is kind of also just a reflection of what the NDP is what the Liberal Party is and you know what the system is in Canada that that creates this sort of bargaining kind of as a as a necessity. Yeah. So all of a sudden, just assuming that, you know, I can't believe they're doing this. But then you look at the platform and say, well, this is what especially the dental stuff. This is what the NDP wanted all along. This is what. Yeah, they the were NDP didn't so, run on universal dental. I mean, look, yeah. on many ways, the Singh platform, the last couple elections was among the most ambitious we've seen from a federal NDP yes. since the end of the Cold War. A lot of the platforms there, and including under Layton, and you know, it's it's difficult to criticize Jack Layton, weren't particularly ambitious. I remember 
when Leighton launched the 2011 campaign, I've mentioned this before, I believe he, his big showpiece policy was fighting ATM fees at the bank. And look, I mean, that's that should uh, banks ripping off poor people should be uh, part of the NDP's platform. You know, it's it's important. You know, banks rip off the poor, like, you know, uh, more than anyone. Uh, but is that really going to be your centerpiece policy and not pharma, not dental? Like, yeah, not like on dealing with the housing they crisis. Were in the, like yeah, they were in the policy book, I bet you. But, but you know, Leighton wasn't running on universal health and care. Like, like Leighton didn't make dental and, and, and yeah. pharma the center of his campaign like Singh did. Uh, oh, or, and you, you know, know what, Krista, I should add, there are definitely MPs and MPPs that are of a persuasion that we would call leftist and even getting close to socialist yeah. here in Canada. We've talked to them. They've been in many cases on our show. Yeah. So it's not as if those politicians don't exist. Yeah. Like we, we, we yeah. understand that. I think that should be said at least a little yeah. bit here. So, yeah. I, so I guess like my point is that, you know, there's a mixture here. It's like the, the NDP is what it is, but there's also just, again, like we, we weren't in the room for the negotiations, right? Yeah. We don't know. Like I know, for instance, Merritt Stiles posted the Ontario NDP MP, uh, P, and before that she was the federal party president. So she has contacts in the federal party, of course. She was like, I, I know my sources said the NDP fought as hard as they could to get things like electoral reform and a, a basic income, you know, kind of building on Leah Gazan's policy, which you know, we've had Leah on to talk about this. I had her on my YouTube channel uh, a while back as well to talk about that. But, you know, they couldn't get it done. Um, and so you have to ask yourself, and this is a perfectly legitimate position. You might be an NDPer that says, look, can't get electoral reform, can't get a wealth tax, can't get basic income, maybe one or two other policies that you really care about. No deal. Like that's a legitimate position, mm -hmm. but it's not the one that was ultimately taken by the party. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Well, there you go. So I think I think we've chewed all the meat off this bone uh, that we can now. So I wanted to kind of seamlessly move now to the conservative leadership race here in Canada. We're going to get a new leader. There's going to be a vote this year. And for a lot of people, they don't really know too much about, you know, these the different people that are vying for leadership. So I want us to take a little bit of time. We're going to hear the voices of at least a couple of the uh, people that could actually win because it is wild. Just you see their faces on Twitter or something like that, but then actually hearing your voice like, wow, that person is absolutely repellent. So starting with absolutely repellent, old uh, PP himself, Pierre Polievre. Let's hear from him. How many working folks? can't choose where to go for vacation because they can't afford a buck 75 a liter of gas, Some, a price that's going to rise because of the carbon tax that Justin Trudeau has imposed. So why do you uh. think this guy, and we were just talking again about crypto and, and how he wants to make Canada, I think he said the, the crypto capital of the world as Prime Minister, which is a wild, wild position that he wants to outsource monetary policy to Bitcoin. Like, that's yeah, absolutely insane. But what, what do you think the appeal is of this longtime politician who, who seems to not want to be, you know, a part? We said he's libertarian. He, he seems to represent these values that are anti-political, but he has been a politician for so long and has been suckling from the system in this way for so long. He, he's one of these 
in my opinion, at least great contradictions that make like the most insane conservatives. Like the ones that are the craziest are the ones that live in a way that's almost completely antithetical to everything that they're saying. So what do you think this guy's real appeal is? I think it's like he probably ticks a lot of boxes for people. Like, he's not the most social conservative. Like, as far as I can tell, he doesn't have, like, a deeply anti-choice position. I think he's, you know, I, I, I don't think he's pro-choice necessarily, but he's not, like, a, a, a out-and-out social conservative like a Leslin Lewis might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does kind of fit this libertarian vibe. So I think one of the things is that people are looking for somebody who, especially on economic terms, is offering like a, a an alternative to what they see as like the left-wing economic status quo. Um, yeah. He's also young. Um, you know, uh, Aaron O'Toole wasn't exactly old. Again, people forget this, but he was younger than uh, than Pierre, than Justin Trudeau. But Paul Evra is only 42. He's quite young. Um, there might be a sense that some people like him because he's young. Maybe they feel that conservatives... Um, um, conservatives will... Uh, <laughs> uh, that have a better chance at reaching young voters mm. because they have Polyevra. I think he's running on, on a on a platform that has like an appeal to like a libertarian type that wasn't willing to vote conservative. Again, he's not alienating social conservatives. This guy went to the convoy. Yeah, but I he was think one of the he's, if loudest he's running, voices at the beginning. Yeah. He's not making social conservatism his main platform. Yeah. He's talking about crypto more than like banning abortion. Uh, and he's talking about like, you know, he was, um I think he uh, just a little bit earlier today, he had a, a rally and he said, like, I'm going to sell off public buildings. I'm going to, uh, you know, sell off. Uh, he said he's a candidate for the leadership of the conservative party, told a crowd of 1200. This guy's pulling in big crowds, mm-hmm. places like Windsor, Essex. He would end the federal carbon tax, reduce foreign dependence on oil and gas and sell off 15 percent of government buildings to create more affordable housing. You know, so he's kind of, so fucking yeah. wild. Like, that's yeah. so insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holy shit, man. Like, so that, he's, he's that's our answer run, right now. Eh? Yeah, Go he's ahead, trying sorry. to run on a like economically fiscally conservative platform but still gesturing to workers and i sort of see how he right now is just able to kind of tap in to all of these different types of people right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that's why he's got this appeal among conservatives the social conservatives like him the economic conservatives like him. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I don't know, like, you know, there's not a ton of young conservatives, but the young conservatives, I'm guessing, are very much in favor of him more than other candidates. And I think that it's very clear that he's been able to uh, kind of organically, within his own party, uh, build all of these different ties. Again, I think that, you know, he's set himself up well in that regard. I mean, the one question for him is... Will will I don't think Canadians are going to like him the more they learn about him. Um, but, you know, I think it's he's running a, a platform that hits all the bases like he's running as a libertarian type. But then he also says things like we're going to we're going to stop foreign oil. So he's willing to be idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that could kind of work because, again, a pure libertarian position is like, no, I don't give a fuck. I want the dirtiest slave drivingest <laughs> oil 
because in a free cyst, free markets are the best. Yeah. And I don't care if it's China. I don't care if it's Saudi Arabia. I don't care if it's anywhere. We make deals based on the pure economic validity. That's the libertarian position, of course. But he's not going to do that. So he's willing to be a bit idiosyncratic. Like you can't be a true, free, truly free country if you don't have any energy independence. I wouldn't necessarily classify that as a libertarian position. Um, so he's creating these 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 positions that fit with everybody in the conservative party. Like mm -hmm. for instance, he's like he's he's like he's got some of that he's got some of that libertarian flair, but he knows not to oppose things like supply management. I don't mm. think he said anything against supply management if I just looked this up. Yeah, let's take um, a look here. Which is, you know, cuz like that that's one of the things that hurt Maxime Bernier, right? Mm -hmm. Because farmers like it. Um you know, now some people, uh, he has talked about uh, dairy costs rising, but it, you know, he said to in to Western Standard Online, uh, Polyev says he won't change supply management in agriculture. He would re focus on reducing taxes and simplifying regulations so farmers could you know get products to market. But he's not, for instance, saying he would focus on supply management because he knows that's political suicide. Because within the conservative party. Uh, farmers and people who like farmers are part of his base. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's, that shows that he's willing to, again, be idiosyncratic. Yeah. And I do, I, I do question the actual beliefs of, uh, Mr. PP, who I'm going to just call him that because I, I, I screw up the names here because I, 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 he has done a lot of really questionable things like the, the, his whole ideology because it is so transactional and changing yet still seems to be you know uh libertarian we talked about it before what clarifies the positions of the ndp but having moral clarity at least a lot of right wingers have clarity except on the other side this is not the case for mr pp like one thing that happened was he was uh, when going on a podcast, you see this story a little while ago from Press Progress about he was on a podcast hosted by a guy who compared central banking to slavery and Nazi yeah. Germany and yeah. Germany and Bolivar was saying that he stays up late at night listening to it with his wife and how much they learns. Like, I really do. Yeah, think he I'm is... just shocked that he that somebody he found someone to marry him. <laughs> but yeah. but he, he is tapping into yeah. that kind of alt light conservatism that is interesting that this is very well could be, you know, the leader, he's, he's definitely up in the polls of the uh, Conservative Party in Canada. What do you think the difference is um, regionally between America and the United and uh, Canada that Polievra, Poly, how do you say his name again? I keep fucking that Polievra. up. Polievra. Polievra. I'll, I'll tattoo it on my face. Uh, why do you think his success is... Why do you think he is so successful, despite the fact that he isn't leaning so hard into the same, you know, conservative social elements that have succeeded in the United States? Considering, you know, what happened with O'Toole, one of the reasons, at least speculatively, that he was kicked out was members of the caucus that were suggesting that maybe he was not conservative enough, so to speak. So, like, where do you think that divide is here that he could be as successful as he is without having to go anything close to, like, full Trump? I mean, I don't know. Again, I think it goes to this idiosyncr idiosyncrasy. I mean, there was a piece in the Financial Post calling him out on it 
being like, look, if you're ideologically consistent and you're a conservative, you should support the carbon tax, if anything, and oppose supply management, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But what this guy knows is that carbon tax, even though, and we've talked about this and lots of people have talked about it, the carbon tax was initially a conservative policy. People like Preston Manning proposed it because in the 90s, uh, climate change denial was not a necessarily... Uh, a, a, a mainstream position on the right, necessarily. There were climate change deniers, Reagan types who were like, um, you know, uh, you know, why why worry about uh, climate change? The rapture will happen and take us all <laughs> up to heaven soon, right, type thing. But like the mainstream position in the conservative movement was we don't want, you know, a massive regulation. We don't want government ownership. We don't want, you know, uh, uh, you know a, a wartime social response to climate so why don't we do something like uh like with anything else like with garbage or whatever recognize that when you produce carbon and other emissions those have negative external effects on society and we could at least hypothetically calculate the cost of that of that damage and 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 make big polluters have to pay for it Basically, Mm -hmm. make the market cost. Pierre Trudeau talked about this stuff too uh, early on. Like, you know, if you're, you know, the society has to pay for it eventually. And so disincentivizing it through market forces, which is what a carbon tax does, because if you're hit by the carbon tax, it'll incentivize you and or firms that you'll employ to lower your carbon tax costs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a market position. Uh, whereas supply management is not a market position. It's explicitly uh, puts constraints on the market with the understanding that maybe it's beneficial to ensure farmers have stability and pricing and, and all of that to, uh, to, to keep food security good, um, even if that leads to higher costs, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, supply management is popular, um, or at least the idea of it benefiting farmers is popular with conservative voters and indeed most Canadians, whereas the carbon tax is explicitly not at all popular with conservatives. And again, I think his desire, his willingness to be idiosyncratic so far has paid off for him, yeah. right? Uh, and again, not not explicitly, as so far as I can tell, pissing any any key constituency of the conservative party off. He's not yeah. gone at the social conservatives. He's not gone at the libertarians. You know, um, I don't think he's pissed off any region yet either. Um, that's that's what it takes, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it takes. He's just this lukewarm garbage. Like, he's just gray gruel, but is so dangerous of a leader. Like, I, this idea that he's spouting that, that will actually switch to, like, blockchain currencies instead of hard currencies. And I think, like, last week he was talking about, like, that's why people are having a tough time (laughs) because of that, that we haven't switched on that way. That's why our economy is faltering, not, you know, looking at all about the the pitfalls of capitalism. Like, I don't know your position on this, Crystal, but I think that would be very, very bad for like everyone in every way. And I don't think it'd be something that would actually happen. And it's strange that he is now finding purchase again. I think we talked on our show before Jordan Peterson tweeting about this guy today uh, and his, his possible connection to making Canada the blockchain capital of the world. You know, I, I do think he is very dangerous. And like you said, if we do have to have, if we've had uh, liberal dominance here for over 10 years, it's very what is our past shown they like to flip-flop here and we could very well have this guy as prime minister 
And with the way our country is pushing out, we can't have someone like him. The only thing that gives me a little bit of salvation is maybe he is so malleable and without principle that he will make changes that will help have to help people because he just doesn't want to lose. Like maybe it's just he has he is so lacking in principles that maybe it could possibly be, you know, a, a beneficial. Um, anything else on him before we move to the other dudes? No, I mean, I think that, you know, crypto is maybe maybe one of his arguments. I think he legitimately seems to believe in it, even though this idea that it's going to allow you to opt out of macroeconomic trends is ridiculous <sighs> because, I mean, yeah, you could do stunt purchases for crypto in certain places, but uh, as a practice, because of transaction fees and processing times, it only really works with like big purchases. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main purpose of crypto right now is as speculation. And yeah. so effectively its value is inexorably tied to fiat currency to like whether it's the mm-hmm. Canadian dollar, US dollar, pound, whatever. Um, you know, it doesn't work as an independent currency uh, on on any on any realistic basis, at least right now. Yeah. But maybe that's a play for him to reach young people. I mean, crypto is popular among young people. And I think generally from a right wing orientation, but maybe mm-hmm. not exclusively. And so if he's thinking to himself, you know, things like like taking a, a, a being a, a pro crypto guy that could help me tap into youth voting in a way that other conservative candidates maybe can't. And, and he's maybe doing it in a cool way, the, too. Like he's talking yeah. to a shawarma owner that, yeah. you know, wants to 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 use crypto as the the main. Form yeah. And of again, that's dumb. There. It's dumb. Yeah. It's not designed, <laughs> at least as of now, crypto is not just like it's it, 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 the processing times and stuff. It, it, it doesn't work that effectively um but the but you know a lot of young people support crypto and if he's the crypto guy maybe he'll get support from that i don't know but that's i think that's his his gamble and again he's willing to be idiosyncratic and if he can find a way to make that work maybe it will yeah but we saw o'toole try and do like i don't know i feel like o'toole did sort of the same thing and maybe got kicked out from the more staunchly conservative members of his caucus there. You know, do you think there'll ever be a, a time finally where this ghoul will have to kind of put up and say, like, you know, here are my bona fides. Here's what I really believe. If I would be a prime minister, what I as a conservative leader would implement, because it, it does seem like like, where do you think that um, the removal of O'Toole factors in? to any of these uh, purported leaders that want to take over the reins. Like, do you think that concern that yeah, he was kicked out and, you know, maybe the, the circumstances of that is changing the sort of races that these uh, these dudes are running? Or what do you think? I mean, maybe it looks like there, there, there doesn't seem to be like. I, I definitely think that there's still going to be people that are running on the more. I am a relative moderate type person, and so therefore pick me because I can win. And Polyevra is not seen as that. If you look at the big four that I would say, it would be him and Patrick Brown and Jean Charest and Leslin Lewis. And I would say that Polyevra of those four is likely the second most conservative on both social and economic issues. So he is expressly not running a moderate campaign. Now, doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be openly like, I'm a bit, I hate abortion, blah, blah, blah type mm-hmm. guy. He might be careful in that regard, but I don't think he's going to do anything to piss off the social conservatives. And O'Toole really didn't either, but 
you know, he lost I still so think, much. Yeah. He just kept losing. So yeah, but I <laughs> but I still think that O'Toole sort of tried to position himself as not quite one of them in mm. some ways, but still better than Peter McKay. I, I don't know. I think I think that Pierre Polyevre is going to really place himself as a common sense social conservative in some ways. Um, you know, and, and but one thing you do see, and I think this is critical, is that when Jean Charest, I think, launched his campaign, and he's very clearly going to be making the I can actually win where we need to win argument. His exact right? words, Like I can yeah. win in Quebec. <laughs> I can win in Ontario. I can win the 905, I can do that and no one else can, whether it's, that, that's going to be his argument, right? That's going to yeah. be his narrative. But what he said is that like, there's a place in this party for social conservatives. And I think like he, even he who's running as like the most quote unquote non right wing campaign is very clearly not willing to fight the social conservatives. And I think maybe that's mm-hmm. one consequence is that clearly O'Toole made that pitch. Remember, he put out this tweet where it's like, we don't need to be the NDP of the right. We don't need yeah. to be ideologically far right. And then they, they turfed his ass. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the argument from conservatives is maybe we do need someone that's more unabashedly conservative. Not necessarily quote-unquote far right, but but like actually proud to be a staunch conservative. Right. Yeah. And, and, and O'Toole wasn't willing to do that. Um, Peter McKay wasn't willing to do that. You know, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and Polly Everett looks like he'd be willing to do that. And you, you stole my quote right from out of my clip right from out of me. Let's let's hear now yeah. from uh, Sheree, who actually did say exactly what you're saying when he announced that he's running for leadership. The rule of law, this federalism that we believe in and making the country work are the things that I want to bring to the leadership, first of all, of this party. I want to unite the party. And once we have been able to sit down and look at what we want to do for the country, we'll have a very short period of time, about two years, to prepare for a general election campaign. And I guarantee you, if there's one thing I know and I have learned in politics, I know how to win. So, yeah, he he is, of course, the former Quebec premier. He led in, I think, the mid 90s. Uh, He launched his campaign in Calgary. He's his slogan is built to win. And he's highlighting again the fact that he is going to win. I know there was uh, some polling that actually I think just was released in the last day or two that was talking about the viability of Chere in Quebec and how just uh, based on the numbers, he could really win in places that uh, Polly ever couldn't. So what do you what do you think about this sort of campaign being run now almost in like it seems like in direct response to Polly ever like it, it is it is pretty funny like I where, where do you think this guy is going to fall? Well, it looks like from most of the polling we've seen, he's clearly in second, which is good yes. for him, but he's nowhere near Polyevra right now. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, a couple recent, Angus Reid did a recent poll, I believe it came out a couple weeks ago. It, it had um, him in like the mid-teens, but Polyevra in and around 40-50%. Like, he's clearly not in the same position that... Um, that that Polyevra is in, right? So right now, in a sense, it looks like he's ahead of um it looks like he's ahead of the uh the rest of the pack, 
but not necessarily anywhere close as it stands mm -hmm. to um, Polyevra. I think that he's going to try to run as a relative moderate, but like for instance, the he's he's he says no more hikes on the carbon tax. Maybe that his position is we don't need to scrap it as much as we need to kind of preserve it. Um, you know, I don't know exactly where he's going to try on that, but that's his argument that I am built to win. I'll right win in now, Quebec. Yeah, he's really yeah. just keeps saying that. Right yeah. now, though, it's not necessarily clear, right? Like we've seen some polling on this that that Canadians aren't necessarily convinced that he's that much more likely to win, right? Like, so for mm -hmm. instance, one of the recent polls that we've covered, uh, or that that that, that we that I, I think I shared with you was that you know who Canadians think can win. So they yes. asked Canadians yeah. today. Uh, or a couple days ago, Nanos did uh, last week or, or so. They said uh, conservative leadership: who has the best chance of winning the next federal election? And basically, it was uh, Chade had thirty percent, Polyevra twenty-two. No one else above five percent. A big mm -hmm. chunk of of people who were unsure said none of the above, blah blah blah. But like clearly, there is a sense among the general electorate, which again isn't the same thing as the conservative electorate that um, it um, that, that he is the person to win. But I have seen some polls done like early on in this race where they do like these hypothetical matchups. Mm -hmm. Like we, we go to a hypothetical next election and you see um, who like, who's got the shot at winning and there's not a huge gap, Right. Like, and one, one factor as well is that some of the polls we've seen from earlier in the race asked people, you know, not just conservatives, but like the general population, like, who do you support? And even their Shadow loses. So for instance, in that poll I mentioned from mid-March, the Angus Reid poll, um, you know, from conservatives, who do you support? It was 54 to 15, Polyevra to Shadow. But in the general vote, it's still Polyevra 25, Chade, um 20. So mm. even there, it's difficult for Chade to make the argument that, like, I'm the guy who's clearly the one that can win and Polyevra can't because, at least according to some polls, we might be seen as not that different from each other among the general electorate. And so it's going to be difficult. This is not necessarily a scenario where Chade is polling 10, 15, 20 points better among non-conservatives. Mm. And then he can go to conservative voters and say to them, look, I understand that I'm the, you know, that you, you know, you have a, a great admiration for Pierre Polyevre, but like, it's also about winning a government, right? It's about winning a government. And right now I'm the one that can do it. That's not necessarily clear. Like yeah. that's not clear. And like there's the, here's a, another example. This is from earlier in March. This is from almost a month ago, to be fair. But they asked a whole bunch of people, uh, Legere did, uh, f all of the five, the four people where we've mentioned, or the uh, Chade, Polyevre, Lewis, and Brown, plus Peter McKay, who <laughs> you would vote for if the, um, the election was today. With Singh and the NDP, uh, Singh and Trudeau also as leaders, right? Like the, yeah. the other party status quo. And for the most part, it didn't change that much. Mm. Like for Chade and, and Polyevra. Um, 
the liberals, you know, in a, uh, the liberals, uh, you know, with Polyever, it's 34 liberal, 30 conservative, 21 NDP. With Chade, it's 33 liberal, 28 conservative, 20 NDP. Um, you know, with the conservatives picking other candidates, it actually gets a little worse with Lewis and Brown. So Polyevra can make the case that it's not nearly obvious that he's the clear favorite outside of the conservative electorate, but there's no an argument to be made that Chade is. Again, according yeah. to this, there's effectively no difference. Like, the <laughs> and I guess it makes sense, too. When, when yeah. you really think about it, it does make sense because that divide between yeah. conservative and liberal, despite the fact that in many ways it is not existent for constituents yeah. of the uh, liberal party, they believe that it's they're very different. Like they really do see themselves as a, a different yeah. type, a different breed. So this idea that all of a sudden you get this old politician that some people remember coming in saying that, you know, yeah. we're, this will be moderate and we will win just saying you will. I, it's a different time. It really is. Like yeah. it's a different reflection yeah. of these different constituents. So anything else? Because I do want to talk. I want to spend a little time on yeah. the mayor of my hometown because he yeah. is a, a real interesting yeah. uh, conundrum here. Anything else? Yeah. One quick thing on this one is that uh, one one of the factors is is how this is going to play out beyond uh, these two main candidates. And one of the arguments is actually that. Uh, wh why are they polling so so similarly? And one of the arguments is that Polyevro might lose some people to the liberals because he mm -hmm. is more stridently ideologically right wing. But it does look like in some of the polling that he pulls in some PPC votes. Remember, the PPC mm -hmm. got a significant amount of votes. And if you looked at one of those polls, they asked people, you know, like from other parties, who would you, out of all the conservative candidates, who do you like? And with the PPC, it was very clearly Pierre Polyevro. Yeah, he was like more popular among PPCers, ways, yeah. yeah, and uh, more popular among PPCers than he is among his own party, uh, mm -hmm. at least in terms of proportion. And so he could make the argument that, yeah, maybe I'm not like you know, uh, we might not get a ton of. Li he won't say this because we might we might not win a bunch of 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 liberal voters over, but I'm gonna excite some people that haven't been involved in the political process through my idiosyncratic positions on crypto and. I'm going to basically mm. eat up the PPC and, you know, get those votes back that we lost. Right. And that might be th three. Maybe he takes half the PPC vote. What did the PPC get in 2021? Um, it was more than the Green it? Party, right? More, well, more than the Green Party. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. They didn't win a seat, of course. But I believe they, they, out, uh, they outvoted the, the, the uh, they out uh, pulled the conservative, the, the mm -hmm. Greens. The PPC pulled in. Um, they pulled in um, 5% of the vote almost, 4.94% of the vote. Well, more than double what the Greens got in, the, in, yeah. in, in that election, which was about two and a third. Uh, so a significant amount, 840,000 uh, votes, basically. Uh, Paul Ever could make the case that I can win those people back unlike anybody else in the race because they like me more than anybody else. Yeah, see, in that 2022, it does feel like that is a better road to take than the old standard, bog standard of for Sharia to say, like, I will bring the liberals back to the conservative party. Like, I, I, it just seems like that's a more natural transition and a better win for Paul Evra. So I, that's fascinating. I, I, I like, 
He's got it cornered in a lot of different ways. And the only other person that might have something to do with it that could, you know, win is Patrick Brown, the mayor of Brampton, former leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservatives. Uh, He entered the race and he is pushing this idea of the big conservative tent. He built incredible inroads into the Sikh community within Brampton and within Southern Ontario. And really, it, it pushed him to the uh, the mayoral chip in, in Brampton. And it was a big blowout. And he, he did very well, despite not living there and having very few connections. Um, I was a reporter in Toronto when it was discovered that Patrick Brown was, for the last like 10 years before that, really actively, allegedly victimizing young women that worked for him and was sexually harassing and in many cases assaulting. And I think, and this is absolutely a trigger warning because I do want to talk about it because the stuff that he has been accused of and absolutely not exonerated for is stuff that should preclude him from any sort of political race. He shouldn't necessarily be killed or all these horrible things that people want, but you don't deserve to to head up a conservative party when you have done things like this. So like, I don't want to go into all of the gritty details, but the basic idea was he had people working for young women working for him between the ages of 18 and 24. He was a teetotaler single at the time and will go to this really seedy bar in Barrie known as the bank. And he had all these different flirty text messages with these people that work for him. And these Friday nights, apparently he was notorious for, you know, plying drinks to the people that were from, especially these young ladies, while he never drank anything himself. And on at least five different occasions here, which has been reported, these young women ended up in uh, Patrick Brown's home where he then would pull down his pants and in many cases alleged even force himself uh, on them. And this came out when he was leader and he was kicked out because of that uniformly right away. But I I just I feel like as he's running these accusations from so many different women over such a long period are not finding the purchase that they should because this is not, you know, ancient history. And the fact that he is still now even pitching himself as the family man that will bring these cultural communities together is like an extra dose of sickening because it's, it, it is really like people have forgotten. We talk about the horrible things that other politicians have done and do, but stuff like this you know, it, it's a notch above. It should preclude you from these sorts of things. And we see that that isn't the case. So, you know, I don't really know if I want to spend much more time on them. But, yeah, that's just, you know, my takeaway. What do you think this guy's chances are? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if he has much of a chance just looking at the polls, right? Yeah. Um, he won the mayor. I, he was the mayor of Brampton and didn't think yeah. that would happen. So it is well, it's I interesting. Mean, if you look at the polls, he's not in a great position. One of his arguments could be is that I, you know, you're looking to win the 905. I won the 905. You know, yeah. he didn't do it as a, you know, I mean, there's all these caveats, but like, you know, he could make the case that, you know, he is, he represents a part of the province uh, and part of the country that the conservatives really need. Uh, he might be able to make the case that I represent not just a, a suburban city, but a diverse uh, community, one of the most diverse in all of Canada. Uh, and so he could win that. Maybe his effort will be to sign up 
uh, new Canadians, diverse Canadians to become conservative members uh, and, and, and try to use that to, to shape the party. Uh, I think he's going to run as something of a relative moderate, kind of like yeah. he was when he was conservative leader. But I just, I don't, I don't see it right now. Again, yeah. looking at the polls, he's, he tends to be near the bottom of the, of that, that first tier of candidates that are even worth talking about. And it's not even necessarily clear that when he, um, that when he, uh, you know, is pulled uh, as a general election poll, uh, you know, that he pulls better against the liberals and the NDP than Polyev or, or Shade. In fact, in one of those polls, he pulls quite poorly. Uh, the worst, I believe. So um, mm. I don't know what his argument is. I, I'd be surprised if his campaign has any legs. Yeah. Well, that's personally. at least one positive here. So, yeah. I, you know, I know there's we're kind of running out of time here. So before we there's many other people who who are running. But I did want to get to one or two questions from our discord. If you go to patreon.com slash left turn Canada, just one buck a month, you can join our our little family here and some real smart, interesting people explaining to me about Canadian politics. I wasn't aware. This is from uh, Pierre, who is asking a very valid question. Do you think that uh, Patrick Brown and Jean Charest could possibly split the non-Chud, if you will, vote, allowing Polyevra to kind of clinch the the leadership? Because they are both campaigning on this sort of moderate, I can win versus I can win in this area. We're not these extreme conservatisms, uh, conservatives. Uh, do you think that could happen? Maybe, but there's a couple caveats there. One, there's Leslyn Lewis. We should just talk about her briefly. She's also running on a conservative platform, like she did when she ran last time. I remember last time there was basically four people that meaningfully ran. There was Peter McKay, who ran as like, I'm the guy who can win, I'm the red Tory, blah, blah, blah. You had uh, O'Toole, who didn't run as a far-right guy, didn't run as a social conservative, but like ran as like, I'm a true blue conservative, and was able to sort of triangulate. And then you had... Uh, Leslyn Lewis, who was sort of an outsider as a social conservative, you know, a fairly right-wing person. And then you had, you know, Sloan, who was just, like, fucking nuts, right? <laughs> um, and, and you know, uh, she had a surprisingly good run. Uh, I don't know if they're going to split each other's votes because Leslyn Lewis, the argument is that Leslyn Lewis would also help split the, the two rights. So if you buy the narrative that you got Brown and Sade as the moderates, quote-unquote, and Polyevra and Lewis as the not moderates, you got two and two. One other factor as well is that we have to see what happens because, again, if the polling is accurate and consistent, stays consi consistent, it's not really going to matter because <laughs> okay. if Polyevra really is winning, uh, has 40% right now, 45, yeah. um, then, you know, the fact of the matter is that fundamentally, it's going to be hard to beat them. Yeah. You know, you get 40% on the first ballot, you know, some of those Sade people and whatnot are going to are gonna go to him. Uh, Lewis, I don't think, has much of a chance this time. Uh, ironic as it is, she almost had more of a chance the first time she ran because she kind of fit that niche better. I think yeah. Polyevra has sort of eaten up a lot of her support, so I don't expect her to win but I expect a lot of her people to go to Polyevra second. So when you combine the fact that um, he's clearly in first and she's going to have a significant amount of support that likely ranks him second, I don't know if it's going to matter. And of course, if we look at some of the polling, Sade is clearly in second, but Brown's not really polling much at all. I don't yeah. even know how much splitting's happening there if Sade's at 15 and Brown's only at two. Like, mm. What splitting is there? 
Like, okay, okay, Shadai's at 17. Now he's only down 30 instead of 28 or whatever, <laughs> or 32 to uh, Polievra. I don't know. Right now, it doesn't look to matter because he's clearly in first. We'll have yeah. to see closer to the convention. I mean, the argument could be, again, there's not really a splitting of the vote. Remember that the way the Conservative Party elects their leader is kind of like the NDP, um, except they use a point system. Every riding has a, an equal amount of points allocated to it. And you get um, points based on your percentage of the vote in those ridings. And at the end of the first ballot, uh, the lowest candidate is eliminated. But because people can rank their ballots, you can switch second place support. So this isn't a first past the post election. So hypothetically, if it really is the case that Shade and Brown are 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 really kind of going after the same voters, then at least hypothetically, the, the most of their support will translate to one another on the second ballot. Now, you could make the counter-argument that even in a ranked ballot system, two candidates sort of campaigning for the same people uh, saps each other's energy. But this is not a first-past-the-post thing where Polyevra can win on the first ballot with 35. You do eventually have to get to 50% of the points. Yeah. Plus well, one. I I do wonder then, because I think we'll we'll finish it off here. We're going a yeah. little bit long. That it, it, all indicators now show Polyever with a sizable lead, and you, we've sussed it out now. It's going to be hard to to take them down based on the system in which that the leadership race goes. If he is leader of the Conservative Party, and we're we're coming to the the uh, next federal election, do you think that he is? perhaps uniquely one of the more dangerous conservative leaders or because of his, you know, malleability and, and being such a kind of weird loser that that makes him perhaps less dangerous as someone who is like a strong ideologue here, because I think that's also what people kind of want to know. Like if this guy's going to head up the conservatives and, and chances are we're, we're going to do a flip flop here, hopefully not from liberal to conservative. How bad would this guy really be? I don't know. I think he could be pretty bad. I think he could be pretty <laughs> bad. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it's hard to say exactly, right? It depends. Will we be an NFT nation? Do you think that'll happen? Yeah. I mean, I think that he might be, he might be, he'd probably be worse than Harper, I think. Yeah. Okay. I think he'd be worse than Harper. Yeah. I do. I don't know. Like, specifics, we, I, it, it would depend. Does he win a majority? Mm. Um, yeah. I think he'd be worse than Harper. I do. Yep. I think that he would be more, more ideological than Harper in his, mm. in his orientation. Uh, not that Harper was like this moderate guy, but like Harper very clearly like fucking ruled that party with an iron fist and, and yeah. did control the party's right flank in some ways, uh, especially on social issues, basically uh, threatening them. Like, you know, like you'll notice that like, you know, Harper didn't try to ban abortion or anything like that. Right. Like he was mm -hmm. very careful because he knew that now. Polyevra, I don't know. Does he does he have more of a friendly relationship with the party's right, or does he do that during his election? And then what happens is that inevitably he you know cracks down on the party right once he wins the leadership because he mm. feels like he has to pivot. We don't know, but I do think he'll be worse than Harper. That's that's my view. Yeah. There we go. So the only hope we can have if we do get these worse outcomes in the most hell timeline is that maybe we get a stronger NDP 
to respond because, again, the Liberal Party isn't going to be the one to do that. So maybe the only positive is as we shift more to a worse conservatism that the NDP can bring out some better progressivism. So I think that's going to be all for us this week. Uh, again, patreon.com slash left turn Canada. You can find us on Twitter at left turn Canada. Uh, thank you all for the support and we'll see you next week. Thank you.